Hello everyone and welcome to Player 456, a Squid Game podcast. My name's Colin McMillan and thank you very much for tuning in. I'm joined as always by my very good friend, my co-host and Squid Game aficionado, Jack Shaw. Jack, how are you? Yeah man, you just about got that word out, Colin. Just I? about. Yeah. It was almost an edit point but not quite. We'll just we'll, we'll go with it. We're here today to continue our discussion on Squid Game Episode 3, The Man in the Umbrella. We're picking this episode up right kind of where the the episode, I think, gets quite exciting, uh, Jack, in terms of the players start plotting, they start trying to make teams, and they start making plans for how they're going to get through these games, don't they? Yeah, like, teams is obviously a big, massive thing throughout this, and working together, and maybe even the danger of sort of group thinking what that can lead to as well on the flip side. So the players are starting to find their teams. You've got Jihoon, and he manages to get Sang-woo, Ali, and uh, the old man, Il-nam, onto his team. Now, you wanted to, we've spoke a little bit about dubbing and subtitling before, but you want to highlight something else again that there seems to be quite a lot of chat on the internet about that I didn't really know much about. I did notice it with 67 and the slight difference between the, the dubbing and the subtitling, but one thing we have forgot is that Native Koreans watch this as well, so that's a third angle to look at, so it is. Absolutely, and um, there seems to be just a slight difference from a native Korean speaker watching the show and their understanding of what's said compared to what gets picked up in either the dubbing or in the subtitles. Um, We're probably quite lucky in that we both watch the show with subtitles, Jack, but we we watch it back to take notes with the dubbing on, just so that we can kind of second screen it and take notes at the same time. So we get the uh, kind of the best of both worlds, I suppose. But one of the parts during this this part of the episode is um, Sang Woo tells Ali off for calling him sir says please don't call me sir and there's been a bit of discussion around this because if you actually listen to it the actual korean that said is please don't call me your superior i am not your superior but they've just changed that to sir on in the subtitles and in the dubbing it's got an interesting one for me because i reckon in the outside world prior to this sangwoo probably would see himself as a superior to somebody like ali the fact that he's so adamant in this please don't call me that don't say that maybe gives us a bit of an idea about where he finds himself now in this game compared to his previous existence or life. Do you think he has been broken down that much already that he surely he doesn't see himself as an alley this quickly or do you think the game has done that to him this rapidly then that right here in this dormitory we are equals? don't know if he sees anybody as equals as such because we're going to get to see kind of how cunning and how switched on this guy still is. What I think you'll see is that the idea of perhaps of class and place in society and everything else, it's just something he's not interested in at this point in time because all he's interested in is these games and getting through them and getting to the end and getting the money. In terms of where he finds himself in life at this point, he, he was a knock at the door away from killing himself. He was in the bath with the charcoal burning, sliding into the water when the door goes with the not PlayStation symbol on the card. So he, he is at rock bottom himself. He's arguably in a worse place than Ali, really, in an outside world point of view. Um, so yeah, I, I think from from him, it's a, it's a case of the games are the most important thing and almost hacking the games, trying to do hustle, find out exactly what's going on is all he cares about. And in terms of social standing and friendship and all that, it's not something he's interested in at this point. We covered this a little bit with a sort of morality chat and that there is massive grey areas and there's not a lot of black and white thinking in real life compared to on the internet and things like that, Colin. But at this point, there is a a sort of black and white team, if you know what I mean. There seems to be the the white team um, with the two contestants. 
Ali and the old man who seemed morally good at this point, and so does four, five, six. Um, obviously, Sangwoo's in that team, and he's a little bit greyer, I suppose. But then there's the the opposite end of that, and that's the gangsters team, the the tattooed thugs or one o one. He seems to be morally evil, and again, it's just showing this yin and yang. There is a there is a black and white within the game, but also even when you drill down into the teams, there, there's grey areas within the teams as well. Obviously, we know about 001, player one at this, not at this point, but later on. But at this point, you do get the feeling that this is the nice, angelic team. And all the other sort of characters, you can tell they're sort of gangsters, they're ruffians, if you want to call them that, they're thugs in the other team. So there is a sort of, again, yin and yang here, which I think is quite interesting. It doesn't quite pan out like that, as we will see. But again, thematically, pretty sweet. Yeah, it's again. It comes down to the storytelling. What it's doing is it's building up your, as a as a as a viewer, it's building up your sympathy for one team. You're there's one team you're going to put all your hopes for. One team you want to do well, and one team that sees a threat, and you're probably quite happy to see them start to die and stuff like that. And that's the the, the dark team with the gangster in it. Funny you should mention the gangster guy, actually, Jack. I saw a picture this week online of the actor that plays him. Really clean cut, clean shaven, handsome, handsome man. Literally, if I showed you that picture and said, who is that in Squid Game? You would not know it was him. So what I'll do is I'll tweet the picture out on the Player456 um, Twitter page, uh, at Player456Pod, if you check it out. There's some good content on there. We've been uh, kind of combining some of the best stuff online in terms of videos, memes, and uh, background pictures and behind-the-scenes footage and stuff as well. So check that out, and I'll start with that picture of the actor, because it really did surprise me. Yeah, one of the people that tries to join the, the dark side, basically, is... I'm going to murder this, uh, Han, Han Minyo, we'll just call her Han, basically, 212, the lady with the curly hair, who was supposedly not able to name her child, which we do think is a complete lie at this moment in time, in this episode, but she is brilliant, she <laughs> she kind of annoyed me a little bit with her overacting, but this episode really shines a light on her overacting, in the sense to sort of distract guards and so on and so forth from what's actually happening so maybe the overacting isn't overacting in the sense of overacting as an actor but it's just overacting as a person to get attention distract attention and things like that I think she's brilliant in this She's very, very good. I'm glad you brought up the overacting. It's something I'm, I noticed later on in the episode as well. And I think there's a little bit of actress overacting and character overacting in this. I think that the, the direction for the character is to be loud, out there, kind of extreme. But the interesting thing about the actress, Jack, is, and I beg your pardon, I, I think her name's Kim Joo Ryong. This is her first ever televised role. She's been a theatre actor her whole life before this. And a theatre actor... There is a hell of a lot more overacting and hand gestures and shouting in theatre compared to TV. So I do think she's maybe brought a little bit of that in with her as well. I think that would be a casting choice then because of her character in the show. And remember as well, it's, you, you're especially when you watch the dubbing version, I think the dubbed version makes her appear even worse because the dubbed voice is so loud and quite obnoxious as well. And I think that adds to the, the gestures and the body language you see from the actual actress. I think she perhaps gets a little bit of a hard time. People people say she's quite annoying. I'm not sure she's annoying. I think she serves a purpose. Yeah, she, she has to join the team to sort of obviously humiliate her a little bit and get a little bit rapey. Is that the right word? You know, very much sexualising her just as a woman. Again, that is just painting them in a very 
a very bad like you don't these guys are very much written so you hate them from the start to the finish and they're doing it quite well with um just the way he does the, the hand actions for sex and stuff like that is just pretty creepy and not a redeeming character or personality trait that I'm really interested in, to be honest with you. They get their their food here, Colin, so they do. Uh, they do, they get their food, and there's an interesting little part here between Sangwoo and Jihun, uh, where they're eating their, it's like a school lunchbox they get, uh, an almost little panko box, and um, Jihun, he shows a little bit, of, when it comes to food, he's a little bit childish. He moans about the rice, he moans later on that there's no chocolate milk, but when he talks about the rice being cold, he sparks up a bit of conversation with Sangwoo about their time at school together, elementary school, about they had a little stove in the class and they used to scorch their rice to heat it up, and he's thinking back really happily about these times because that was a happier time for him when he didn't have the money issues or anything else, and he's looking to maybe share that bit of nostalgia with Sangwoo, but Sangwoo just absolutely shoots him down and says, um, Let's not talk about that. Can we concentrate on um, these games? It's just another kind of a sign that Sangwoo is really determined just to get knowledge, try and hack these games and do as well as he can out of this. I kind of alluded to earlier that I think he already sees his past as dead and finished and he just doesn't want to think about those times and the nostalgia and the thought of school life and happy memories. It's just something that isn't going to help his mindset at this time. Nostalgia's good. We do another podcast called Wrong Term Memory where we do a lot of nostalgia-based content and it's brilliant to talk about and it reminds you of happy times. And yeah, I think you're right, he just doesn't want to think about that. He's laser-focused on surviving the games and being being the winner, I suppose. There's quite a big shift here where this is where we really start to realise that the red suits are basically the same as the players. They're sort of shuffled through hall rooms, they're served food in small tin trays, like being in prison, addressed by a woman's voice in the speaker. The day's work has been complete. And basically, they, they've got a clock in their room as well. They are under the same pressures as the players. Not only is there a clock in the room, Jack, there's a camera in the room watching them at all times, and that's going into the, the same sort of central control centre as um, the one that all the contestants are getting looked at as well. It's really, it's, it's basically one step above, I think, the treatment that the contestants are having. The only difference is they've got a private cell rather than a dormitory cell that the other guys find themselves in. It really is the only difference. The room they're in looks exactly like a prison cell. Little bed, little desk, toilet and sink. That is it. Yeah, this is um, where it zooms into number 29's room, uh, where John Ho is now. He realises he needs to take his mask off to eat. So he takes it off because he realises if he does any different, he's going to draw a lot of lot of suspicion. Like you mentioned, everybody's watching everybody here. Everyone has got an eye on everyone and they're watching them. Now, not being Korean, I suppose this might have been more difficult to push in other cultures, you know, with different haircuts, different hairstyles, stuff like that, you know. They're very much, everybody's got their black hair, basically, so he manages to sort of turn these back and not get noticed and just gets on with his dinner again, thinking on his feet, not really panicking and just single track, right, okay, I'm just going to do what I'm told, basically, because he knows as a circle at the moment that has his role, basically. He does. One of the things he notices in the room is the, the instructions are basically on the wall for him, telling him, um, don't remove your mask, do not speak, etc., um, etc. Et um, and when you see that he's on video, he sits at the desk with his face away from the camera eating his dinner, when it pans out to show you all the other guards or red suits, whatever you want to call them, 
a lot of them are sitting in the beds, a lot of them are sitting facing the camera, they don't have the same worry about hiding their face as he does. So I did think at the time, I wonder if that's going to arise, uh, kind of rise suspicion that he's almost hiding his face compared to everybody else. Now, this is probably my favourite scene in the, the first couple of episodes, basically the 212 needing to go to the toilet scene, basically. Because it's quite funny. There's actually a little bit of comedy in this episode as well with the way she acts. And also, you mentioned that when Jihoon asks for the chocolate milk, just the way the circle stares at him. And it's so weird because they've got a mask on, but you can tell the guy's face. Yeah. You can tell he's, the way he's staring at him is just like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, are you taking the piss? You want chocolate milk in this place? And it's quite funny, man. I actually, I actually had a wee snigger at that, but this... Uh, with Han needing to pee is a fantastic scene. Do you want to tell us what happens? Man, what says people have probably will have seen it. Yeah, she she wants out. Um, she wants out the dormitory basically, and the get the, the, the kind of idea behind what she, the way that she's going to do it is say she needs to pee. She doesn't need to pee. What she actually wants to do is get into somewhere so she can have a cigarette. But she just starts knocking the door and screaming at the guard. Um, she calls him a bastard. She calls him all sorts of things. But the best thing is where she just shouts, "Hey!" Triangle, <laughs> get me your superior. <laughs> and she just won't let her through. She eventually starts pulling her trousers down and says she's just going to pee there and then. Um, I think her last words are, prepare for the fountain. <laughs> and at that point, the guard opens the door and says she can go to the toilet. And this is where Kang shows up at the exact same time, saying, I need to go to the bathroom as well. And the two of them go in there together. And she goes into the cubicle right away, Han, and you see her um, right inside her trousers, into her pants, and she's basically concealed something inside of her um, in order to smuggle something in. My, my immediate thought, Jack, I don't know about you, was, right, oh my God, she's going to have a knife, she's going to have a gun, she's going to have something here. And she pulls out five cigarettes and a lighter and immediately starts smoking one. I, I, I don't know about you, mate, but if I was going to go into this place and I was going to shove something up me, so to speak, I think I'd be going for something a, l- a little bit more beneficial to me than five cigarettes and a lighter yeah a mobile phone perhaps that'd be a good one mobile phone I'd imagine but yeah I thought she was going to bring something out of her vagina basically that wasn't fags cigarettes basically but she's an <laughs> she's an addict and she wants a smoke so she's she's got that then obviously 67 sort of pops in and decides to go creeping about I, I was kind of struggling to wrap my head around this the first couple of times like what they were doing and stuff like that but it's pretty clear they're making the honeycomb now, but I thought it was like some sort of drug or something they were putting in, the sort of white powder, but I think it's just sugar. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the, the, the big cauldron that they were stirring was green to make honeycomb, the very basic honeycomb recipe is you melt down sugar, and that doesn't tend to be green, so I, I get that, and then you see the sort of white dust going into it as well, and you start to think what they're doing. The reason, of course, that you get to know this is because what Kang does is she goes up above the toilet, she opens up a vent and crawls through the vent and she's able to look down on some sort of kitchen area where she sees that they're doing this. She's determined to try and get a little bit of an advantage as well and try and find out what's next. She doesn't realise they're making honeycomb, but she gets, she smells the sugar and realises that they're doing something with sugar and burning sugar in some way. But Jack, this whole scene's taking a little bit of time now and the guard is starting to get a little bit itchy and wondering what's taking them so long, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. By the way, see if you want to make some Dalgona, which is a Korean sugar candy, there is a recipe link on the website, and if you look in the show notes and click on one of the clickable links, you can try it yourself, but 
don't know how many of you will do that, probably none, but I thought I would stick it in anyway. You would be surprised, Jack. The amount of people on TikTok just now that are recreating this game is unreal. Everybody is at it. Yeah, so maybe someday will want to make some honeycomb, but the recipe is uh, on site if you want to go and take a look. Yeah, so Han starts shouting about sexual harassment, screaming, um, once I get out of here, I'm going to shoe you, you bastard, basically. Consent basically being weaponized the other way around. It's the first time that the players have said, look, we're going to sue you, basically, for being a sexual harasser. That says weaponising consent. A little bit of synchronisation there, which is something that I've obviously had my eye out for since the beginning. So now, uh, black and white, they've, they've flipped it and somebody's going to get sued. Somebody will get revenge. And it's kind of the first time that any of the players have sort of spoke about that revenge because you think that would be in your mind as well. Like, if I get out of here, I'm going to find these fuckers. Yeah, uh, I'm going to find you. I think I'm going to... She, she finds the room at one point. There's a whole big scene before this as well where she's pretending she's got diarrhoea and she's screaming that it's... Oh, right. <laughs> it's like trying to push a baby out here <laughs> and stuff like that. Just really, really pulling for time. And it's it's a good idea because if somebody's got diarrhoea and they're screaming like that, the last thing I'm doing is a guard's grin to see that. But the guard does eventually think, hold on, this is taking far too long. And the tension's built up all this time that she's going to get caught in the vent, etc. He storms open the door. She's got her pants down on the toilet, but Kang sat beside her having the cigarette. And he just tells him, right, get out. And that's when the sexual harassment stuff starts because he's opened the cubicle door on her while she sat on the toilet. Very, very good scene. Quite funny, like you said, quite comical at times. But again, it's pushing the story along. You find out that she's got cigarettes and she's got a lighter, which is going to be important very, very soon. And you get your first glimpse of what's going on in terms of the burning sugar. There's something a little bit out of place here that you notice, Colin. Well, you, you see that when she comes back down, the vent, she le- she doesn't fully t- put the vent back. There's one, there's one screw still loose. And I wondered at the time if, one, somebody was going to realise that that vent was loose and somebody had been in it, or two, would that vent form part of an escape plan or something at some point? Just the way the camera sort of hesitated on the screw to show you it, I expected it to come back into the show again, and it never does, um, which was a bit strange. But maybe it's just one of those red herrings. Yeah, it might be. When John Ho goes to bed, number 29, in his red suit, he decides to go under his bed cover and he's taking notes on his phone, basically. Deserted island, abduction, surveillance and masks he types into his phone. Now, we spoke about this and it's quite obviously clear now that Squid Game is a massive critique of capitalism, basically. And this whole thing is an extension of its nightmarish possibilities. But there's a lesson here from John Ho, I think, and that is about the power of single-mindedness and slowing down a little bit, concentrating and successfully using your own faculties and individual thought to aid a sort of positive or negative end, basically. So he's single-minded, whereas we've spoke about groupthink and how dangerous that can be. I think this is trying to show, look, it's almost like a wake up, be like John Ho, think individually, and you have got more chance of success. Now, whether or not he's going to be successful is something that very much is going to be a talking point until season two comes out, I think. But that's what I've picked up here through reading and actually watching it a few times is, yeah, be individual, think for yourself, don't be the group thinker. The, the other main one as well is how good the iPhone batteries are in Korea. <laughs> that's the other one. The the next scene um, is breakfast time, and it's, it's the scene where you, where you get the chocolate milk uh, part. Uh, they're giving milk and a croissant type thing for breakfast, 
And there's a quick conversation here that sparked a million internet theories when uh, O01 compares 456 to his son, basically saying that um, I bet you got a lot of, into a lot of trouble as a child, just like my son. And there are so many people that do think that 456 is O01's son. Um, and that was a big, big theory throughout the show and still ongoing, actually. A really nice scene here, uh, Jack, where Ali, who you can tell in life has struggled a little bit, gets extra breakfast. Uh, first off, he gets um, he gets um, Sangwoo's croissant and then Jihun gives him the milk that he doesn't like. And he's so, so grateful. And what does he do? He calls them both sir again. This is when it starts to get a little bit more insidious and dangerous um, about the people that are running the games and the sort of depths of depravity that they're going to go to and that is um, the doctor picks apart his food um, I think he's player 111 if I remember right and he finds a small piece of paper that says honeycomb on it. The red suits are tagging players foods with references to the next game feeding um, the players the possibility of maybe not the possibility of their death but feeding people information basically but it's because this guy's a doctor that they want him to do something that we'll get to in, in future episodes. But again, it's just the game has rules, but these rules are being broken and there is an inherent unfairness when they're doing this, really. And it's makes you hate this guy straight away. Like like instantaneously like that, I hate this guy. <laughs> Almost as much as Sang Sangwoo. Yeah, this guy's getting help. People are trying to help him and you don't know why yet. You, you soon find out. But yeah, he's got a little bit of an advantage here and he gets to figure out what the next task is going to be about and why it's important. And it kind of takes us to the start of the next task, doesn't it? Um, there's a there's a conversation, though, with um, O1, which is quite interesting, Jack, where he, he starts having memories and remembering things, doesn't he? And for a guy that sort of has cognitive problems and there's dementia issues and various other bits and pieces, it's interesting, the, the things related to the games, and you'll see that as these games go on, that tends to jog his memory, don't they? Well, that is it, because I've watched it, this is my third time watching it now, the coincidences are there for a reason, and they are far too eerie, but a few people have noticed online as well, on their first watch, that some of the stuff that uh, Player One has seen just as a little bit too much on the ball, I've, I've actually heard a few people say he's got serial killer vibes about him, which I'm still not really picking up on even my third time, because of the he's obviously a brilliant actor, and the way he goes about things, there are Easter eggs there that you can pick up on. But against even third time through, I'm still kind of thinking this guy might be all right. Yeah, <laughs> listen, there's uh, obviously by the time you get to the end, you can go back and you can pick the pieces together, and it does all make sense. But these people that are writing on the internet just now, I've just watched episode three, and I've just thought this. I'm not sure I buy it, mate, because. I think that me and you are quite good at picking up stuff on TV shows and guessing where things are going and neither of us got this anywhere close to episode three. So there's there's far too many people out there, I think, pretending that they're cleverer than they are. Questions, queries, theories. Hi, 456ers. Just before we get to your part of the show, we would like to let you know that we also do a show called Wrong Term Memory, where we cover some true crime, some 90s pop culture, a little bit of history, some science, a whole range of things, really. 
Yeah, so if you enjoy listening to us and not just listening to us talking about Squid Game, then just search in your podcast app of choice for Wrong Term Memory or visit our website at wrongtermmemory.com. If you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player 456 by leaving a review or rating. Now, on with the show. Graham got in contact with a more of a theory rather than a query or a question. So, Graham has written, I kind of think there's some kind of Stanford prison experiment type of thing going on with how the guards are seemingly being handled, just as much like the subjects are. So, if you've not heard of the Stanford prison experiment, basically, very quickly, they split guys in Stanford into prisoners and guards and basically let them run their own rules and do their own things. There were some rules like no physical harm and stuff like that. What, what do you think of that, that the, the guards are kind of, it's a crazy social experiment? Like, at, at this point, like, I'm, I'm trying to take a step back and, and not think about what's going on over the whole season, but right now, yeah, what you see now, I kind of, kind of can see where he's coming from as if they're sort of left to, not quite their own devices, but they've been given a specific set of rules to play a role. Is the Stanford experiment the same one where the guards are given the power to electrocute the inmates? No, that's no, that is a that's a different experiment. It's similar though, isn't it? In terms of people get given a role and they they suddenly they suddenly forget morality and they just think I've got the power to do this and they just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And I suppose that's what you see in this with these guards that. These guards aren't an army. A lot of them, you find out one of them takes his helmet off. They're very young boys, some of them. And they're quite comfortable to shoot people dead. Or if they're not comfortable, they're fearful of not shooting people dead. So it's it's definitely interesting in terms of, we mentioned it earlier, that these people could be coming from the same walks of life and it's just a, a chance that they have become guards or they've became the contestants. Even it could be something as simple as the game in the train station, Jack, and the colour you get dictates whether you're a guard or a contestant. That's that's a theory as well. Yeah, and I also think that they might have been cho- chosen and told to pick a shape at the start, and that just wow, yeah. means you're a circle, square, or a triangle. There's no real... Like just because you're a triangle doesn't mean you are a, a capo, for example, or a conciliarci, if you want to put it like to the mafia. I think it doesn't mean that you're higher up the ranking. It literally means that you picked triangle when asked to pick a shape. Therefore, you're the boss, which is very Stanford prison experimenty, basically. Absolutely, um, yeah. I can quite mind. famously, one of the guys became a real bad, a real bad guard. He would punish them. He was torturing them, basically, like mentally, and. He came out and he has said that he was playing a character because there's there's real myth mythology basically about the Stanford prison experiment and how bad it was. Um, the guy that was running it basically wanted to play God, and I think it was his wife that eventually came in one day and looked at what he was doing. And went, you need to fucking stop that because you're cruel yourself, which again might link to the frontman basically being the the experimenter. We'll wrap it up here, I think, Colin. We're going to get to the game and how tense it is. We've mentioned that uh, the policeman's inclusion here lets us behind the scenes and, again, just highlighting that the red shirts are basically prisoners themselves. So, yeah, I enjoyed this one too. A little bit little bit more to the, the middle part of this episode before we get to the honeycomb game in our next episode, mate. 
Yeah, really good episode, and uh, it goes it goes back into what we said before, Jack, doesn't it? About how these games are just a small part of it. We've kind of, we kind of split each episode into three acts, don't we? We've discussed Act One, we've discussed Act Two, and all that's done is a little bit of character building, scene setting, and world building for us. And now we're going to Act Three with the actual game, and that'll be with you guys tomorrow. So thank you for tuning in, and uh, please check us out on Twitter at Player Four Five Six Pod. 